Hey everyone, welcome back to Here in Apologetics. I am so pumped that you are joining us today. Today I have Dr. Kowdoon Swice, who looks like he's frantically checking like your email or something. He's like, what is that noise that's going on right there? Yeah. Um, he is an American professor of philosophy that specializes uh, in the study of the human mind and the ontology of metaphysics. And today we're going to talk about like Israel and Palestine and Christian Zionism and all kinds of interesting questions. So Kowdoon, welcome back. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you, Zach. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, it's been, it's really good to talk to you. And it's been a minute, like since the last time we've talked. So I really enjoyed our last conversation um, where we talked about the passing of your son. I believe that was the last time we talked and whatnot in God and Evil. And that was, I just looked it up on YouTube three years ago. So it's been a minute since we've talked. If that's, yeah. I think that's the last time we talked. Mm -hmm. um, so to get things started, Kaldun, do you want to just kind of like reintroduce yourself and talk a little bit about like who you are, what you do, stuff like that? Sure, we'll do that. I am an associate professor of philosophy in Chicago, and I've been doing that for over 15 years now. I absolutely love it. It's amazing, engaging ideas and doing an exegete of culture. I also have a ministry and an organization called Logically Faithful, uh, where we specifically focus on helping people to think clearly in the relationship with themselves and God and how to bring uh, a redemptive view on how to engage culture better. Sorry, now I was frantically trying to find my mute button <laughs> after the introduction. Um, so to get things started, Kaudin, we're going to talk about like Israel and Palestine, um, because there's a lot going on there in the world right now, and it's all over the news. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit like about like your background and kind of like what like maybe like life experiences or whatnot uh, have got you kind of like interested and engaged in this important question? Sure. I am a Jordanian American. For those of you who don't know, Jordan is one of the uh, Middle Eastern countries right next to Israel, Iraq, and Libya. Uh, we uh, are a small minority of Christians located in a city called the Fohais in Jordan. Uh, my community is very tight. And about 60 to 70% of the population in Jordan are Palestinians or of Palestinian descent. So I have a particular personal connection to the problems happening in the Middle East. And when I saw what happened on October 7, it's the uh, domino effect of things that have been happening since uh, over the last 50, over 75 years, since the foundation of Israel as a state. And it was terrible, absolutely terrible to see the uh, Hamas attacks happening over a thousand Israeli civilians lost their lives and over 200 taken captive as prisoners. It was demonic and terrible to the highest level. Uh, that broke my heart to see that happening. And I, as an Arab, as somebody who's connected to the region, recognizes that this is the result of not the beginning of something new. So from like the outside, I just want to kind of like think about so like for someone like me, Kaudun, who has been following what's going on with like Israel and Palestine, um, but I don't have like I haven't been looking at it like in depth, like reading the news or whatnot. Um, what I want to do is just kind of paint a picture of like what I believe has happened and tell me like what has happened. Like, is this right? Am I wrong? Like what's going on? So from what I understand, what's happened is um, you mentioned like the original attacks from um, Hamas on the Israelis where all kinds of horrific things happened. Um, 
And it seems like to me that after those attacks in retaliation, or I don't know if that's the right word to describe it, but Israel has been invading Palestine since then. Um, and we've seen in the news, the bombed cities, um, and just all the brokenness and, and everything that's happening as a result of it. Is that an accurate picture of what's going on here? Yeah, pretty pretty uh, good there, exactly. Yeah, overall. The, to be more specific, uh, Palestine is a larger region. It's actually about the state of Illinois actually being bigger than it. But the uh, region that you talked about was called the Gaza Strip. That's where the Israeli Defense Force was bombing. Um, right now, as of current reports, we have over 20,000, about 17 plus thousand civilians who have been killed as a result of the bombings. These are children, families, aged, women, and people have nothing to do with the situation. It is really tragic. Infrastructure has been destroyed. Water has been cut off. Electricity, people are trying to do and make do with it. Um, it's, it the result has been catastrophic for that population. And the Israeli Defense Forces attack in the um, overwhelming force that Israel had propounded on that region has gotten the attention of all the major um, humanitarian organizations around the world who have demanded and begged them to stop Israel um, is one of the most powerful countries in the world and one of the best economies in the world. Uh, and this, the tech sector is one of the best in the world as well. So they have more than enough bombs and structure as well as surveillance to know every single name of every person living in Gaza. So if they wanted to go strategically after the people who uh, were doing this, the Hamas leaders, the ones who call for the destruction of Israel, they could have done that. And they haven't done that. They've targeted these civilian population centers, hospitals, and other places. Even if some of it is indirect, it just breaks the heart of every major person with any kind of compassion. And it, it tears me apart. That, that's not the only thing that really bothers me. I mean, there's more. There's more to it. So one thing I think that's helpful here, and I was thinking about this, Karin, right before we did this interview, is... I feel like it's so easy in conversations like this, especially with like current events to forget like the people side of thing. Um, and I think like, if you look at like photos on the news or whatnot, like it helps me to remember that like when we're talking about what's going on, uh, we have to think about like the people element. And this applies to the Israeli and to the Palestinian side where um, we're dealing with people here. Like when, pe when someone dies um, or there's someone fighting, like this is a human being who has their own like desires and fears and longings and things they love and things they hate. And like, I just think, and I wanted to bring this up because I think it's important to remember that like, even like the wickedest person is a human being and the most innocent person is a human being and everyone in between is a human being. And I just think it's important. I want people to remember here that as we go through this conversation and as you engage in this yourself, just remember the, like these people are all people. Like there's not just like, a, they're not just statistics and we can't just let it become that. Mm -hmm. So that was just a thought I had. Yeah. Well said Zach. Well Zach. The, and that's why it's called the humanitarian crisis because uh, people, humans, uh, persons, children, fathers, grandfathers, daughters are being killed. And and, and uh, the, a lot of the Palestinian advocates who are at, uh, pushing back against Israel with this, all the way from Harvard University down, down to uh, London, where we had a million people marching uh, for Palestine, were arguing about that and saying um, from the sea to the ocean or whatever it is, from the river to the sea, uh, that we need to stop this. We need to stop this because these are people. 
And what is being convoluted here is, is a problem here of taking things to the extreme levels, right? You have some students at Harvard University, for all for God's sake, advocating and, and supporting Hamas. And we have the president of Harvard and a bunch of other major universities uh, refusing to denounce anti-Semitism and the uh, problems associated with that. It's really problematic at a high level. Um, the, um, the Hamas charter specifically cites a conspiracy theorist uh, text from the, uh, from the 14th or 15th century called the Chronicles of Zion. Or, uh, and this actually is a text that says there's a group of Jewish people who are planning to plot to take over the world. And we need to do everything we can to stop them. Um, and that has actually been used by Nazi Germany as well to support the destruction and death of Jews as well. So this type of rhetoric is destructive and very dangerous. At the same time, on the other end of the spectrum, you have people saying that the um, uh, Israeli Defense Force is not doing uh, enough to stop this because they are not acknowledging the deep problem rooted in the Israeli occupation of Palestine. See, when the, the partition happened in 1918 and uh, going back to 1948, when the Jewish people were given a state, they were given a region and in that region that they were given, slowly in the process of 75 years have slowly taken away pieces of land that have excommunicated and pushed out over a million Arab people who were indigenous peoples of that land in that region. Some of them were mass exterminated. Some of them, there was genocide completed by some Zionists who probably were not part of the original Israeli government, who knows. But nevertheless, they did these things. They killed, they executed families and children. Zionists did that to Arabs as well. Now, um, Arabs have done that back and forth, of course. And Israel has a terrible humanitarian crisis on its hands where it continues to build settlements and push people out of their homes, out of their lifestyles, uh, and, and destroy families and continue to um, systematically exterminate certain groups of people slowly. Um, and it's causing a lot of the people living in that region to say enough is enough. They couldn't handle the, the uh, Palestinian governments under Yasser Arafat and currently now and the uh, regime that's running in Palestine right now because they were not doing enough. Hamas stepped up as a humanitarian organization and said, we will do it. And sadly, that organization in its very charter has the death and destruction of Jews in it. That group has become the power in the Gaza Strip. And Israel has a right, of course, to defend itself from that kind of ideology. And um, all the humanitarian money in, has been poured into Hamas to help them build in the infrastructure. It was used to build tunnels and set up missiles, as well as uh, weapons to attack the Israeli uh, enemy, that they call it. Um, so it, it gets pretty complicated, and I can keep going on in this. But the main issue here for me as a Christian right now, other than the humanitarian crisis, is that the vast majority of Christians in the United States are Christian Zionists. And they blindly support the Israeli government because they think for theological reasons. 
So let's get into this Christian Zionism thing in just a minute. But one thing I think would be helpful for here is like, what is the relationship between Palestine and Hamas? Like, uh, does Hamas run Palestine? Like, does Palestine like does the Palestinian government just support Hamas? Like, what is the relationship here between Hamas and Palestine? Yeah, uh, Hamas was uh, got into power about twenty years ago with the um, with an election actually. Um, with the Palestinian Authority and the uh, uh, Hamas leadership fighting for um, power, just like we have in the U.S., Republican-Democrat. The Hamas won. As a result, they're the ones who run the Gaza Strip area. And they're the ones who actually provide humanitarian relief, provide police force, and provide a lot of other infrastructure necessary as a government. Hamas also has a large segment of people who are radical Islamists who take Islam to the next level, to the level of fourth century back, where we should execute anyone who stands in the way of God's religion, God's religion, uh, Islam. And that is the Jews specifically. Now, when you have a bully in the classroom whose ideologies are terrible, but he's actually standing up against the other bullies who are hurting you, it's natural as a human to step back and let him do his work, take care of them. And that is, I think, the acquiescence that the large people, the uh, people at large in the Palestinian area of the Gaza Strip have done. They've stepped back and said, Israel has oppressed us enough. They've taken our homes. They've taken our freedoms. They've given us the largest open air prison in the world. And Hamas is fighting back. Let them do their thing. I think that's what's happening. So let's talk about Christian Zionism now, because this is something you referenced just a minute ago, Khaldun. Um, what is Christian Zionism? Uh, sure. Christian Zionism is a belief based on Zionism, which is a propensity and a thesis that says the Israeli people have a right to the land, the geographic area of the land in Palestine today by divine mandate. And we need to do everything we can to help those people get back into that land. Um, so they can have um, their freedom and their home back. Christian Zionism says in order for the coming of Jesus to occur, as Jews need to be back in the homeland and rebuild the temple. And Christians all over the world who believe that ideology, which is a small segment of the population, by the way, are those who hold to that position all the way back to the Belfort who actually had the Belfort Declaration, who helped Israel establish itself as a state. Down today to people like Mike Pence, former Vice President of the United States, uh, and other uh, members of, of uh, Congress, and even people in the Parliament in Britain support this position. And as a result, we have over $150 billion in military aid given to Israel every year. The um, theological foundation for foreign aid given to Israel is that, based on Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where God said to Abraham, those who bless you, I will bless, and those who curse you, I will curse. And in Isaiah, Israel is the apple of God's eye, woe to anyone who touches her. So that is the theological position, that if we continue to bless Israel today, God will bless us. So what do you make then of like this theological um, 
like argument like is this something that like you think like this idea of like um zionism is this something that's biblical like is this something that like is like a true theological belief but people take it too far like like what do you make of that Calhoun? sure very, very good questions the vast majority of christians all over the world from the reformed the catholic to orthodox um episcopalian as well as anglicans and others do not hold to this position only evangelical christians who have been in the dispensational theological belief system started by John Darby Nelson and passed on through people like Dwight D. Moody um, and others have pushed a theological position that holds that the rapture is a secret place in the uh, in the in God's theological framework. And there are dispensations that God has set up in the history of the world. And the, that dispensation has Israel as the uh, special apple of God's eye as a city and as a people. And that 1948 was the linchpin of what actually started the end time prophecies that talked about on the, that Jesus talked about on the Olive Discourse, as well as in the books of Revelation. And now in that, they believe that Israel is the final fulfillment of that prophecy. And if you've seen the hit series of the Left Behind series, or the movies, or the books, which actually outsold the Harry Potter books, by the way. Uh, they were incredible in their impact, which basically says that the Antichrist is coming, and it's going to come with the foundation of Israel as a state, and when the temple is built, it will usher in the messianic age where Jesus himself will step on the Mount of Olives. And it has to happen in Israel. APAC and a bunch of Christian organizations around the world have supported Israel. Netanyahu, uh, Prime Minister of Israel, has flown around the, uh, the U.S. at Christian churches like John Hagee's and others that have supported Israel because they believe they are the people of God. That's where it started. That's where the theological position is. And Dallas Theological Seminary, Moody Bible Institute, I'm not, I think it's liberty as well as dispensational, if I, my understanding that is correctly. Yeah, I, think, I believe it is. Uh, and, and it's a position that says we need to support Israel if we're going to support God. So then, Kaldun, like you referenced, like you said that this is something that like not all churches believe. Um, like we look at like Catholics or Episcopalians or these other denominations that you brought up, Kaldun, Uh They aren't necessarily like holding to something like this Christian Zionism. What would like? What are some of these other beliefs like? What about what? Like the relationship between like Christianity today and Israel and whatnot. Sure, uh, there's a, a stem of theology called covenant theology, which says that the covenant God made with Abraham is for the chosen people. The chosen people are the people of God, the remnant, using scriptural language, who God will bless, from whom and whose blood will come the Messiah, who will save the world, for His very name, Jesus Yeshua, which is a deviation of Yahshua which is Yahweh saves. That's the very name of Jesus. The very name Israel means struggle with God. So the, those who struggle with God are those who will produce the Messiah of God to bring the redemption of mankind. That covenant God made with Abraham and the land that he gave him at that time continues on today. It doesn't get replaced, although dispensationalists will call it replacement theology. 
it's not necessarily replacement because it's the same covenant God made, but now it continues through what we call today the church. The church is God's people. Uh, the apostle Paul said, not all Israel is Israel. And John the Baptist himself said, God can take one of these stones and turn it into a son of Abraham. Just because you have the lineage of Abraham doesn't mean you are following the words and the, and the uh, religion and the, uh, the relationship Abraham had with God. So these vast majority of churches around the world, everyone from St. Augustine to Martin Luther to Arrhenius and others have also held to that position as well, that God has continued that covenant with Abraham today with the people of God today, us Christians that he will bring redemption through the world, through that people. And that people hasn't changed. That's the covenant theology. Dispensational theology says God has different dispensations, different positions, different ways that God blesses. So basically, and this is controversial, but nevertheless, in dispensational theology, God has two brides. Israel is God's bride, and the church is Jesus' bride. You can see how many problems I can bring up theologically. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, because God doesn't have two people. God has one people. And we, the Gentiles are grafted in to those people. The Jewish people and the Christian people are God's people because they are the redemptive people God blessed through the bloodline of Abraham. And now that bloodline is no longer a physical bloodline. Now it's a spiritual bloodline. Jesus said, you used to come worship at this temple, but now... God's changing things. God says, you shall worship me in spirit and in truth. Jesus is the fulfillment, not a temple that we build in a geographical region called Jerusalem. So that's the big distinction between the two there. And I can get into the theological problems of Zionism uh, as we can as we continue. Yeah, so let's let's do that. So like we have this idea, um, and these two different ideas to be more precise. Um, what are some of the problems then with like this Christian like Zionism? Um, maybe you want to go into theologically first, and we can look at like how maybe that's impacting like even like what's going on in Israel and Palestine today. Yeah, sure. The uh, in logic, there is a term called equivocation, the fallacy of equivocation. When you equivocate, what you do is you use two words, meaning two different things, to think and confuse your audience that you're talking about the same thing. Okay? So when you say that um, Israel, that God has blessed, Israel is the apple of God's eye, you're now looking at the nation of Israel, given and blessed through the bloodline of Abraham that will produce the Messiah. And now then you're looking at the state of Israel founded in 1948, which is largely a secular organization that 90% of its rules, regulations, and jurisprudence has nothing to do with the laws and rule uh, segments of Abraham and his people. Nothing. Um, the vast majority of Jewish people today are secular. Only a small percentage, maybe 20 to 30%, are actually religious. So when we say Israel, we are equivocating. We are confusing our people. We're confusing our audience. The Israel in the Bible is not the same as the Israel today. They're two different things, although they both have the same name. Kind of like we both say, I believe in God, you believe in God, but one's a Muslim and one's a Christian. We're talking about two different types of um, theological uh, gods here. Uh, at the same time, in in 
when we're talking about one thing, like in Illinois, we have Metropolis, Illinois. We also have Paris, Illinois. They're both Paris, Paris, Illinois, and Paris, France, but they're two different places. I think the same thing happens with Israel. That's number one. So can I just clear, to clarify here, like when you get in, when you view Israel, Kaldun, um, you don't see Israel as some sort of like special state that exists today in the 21st century um, that's like set apart by God or something along those lines. You view Israel kind of like maybe how you'd view like your your country of Jordan, um, where you're, you have family from, or maybe like just any other, like Japan or the USA or Brazil. It's just kind of like another country. Exactly. It is. And it's a wonderful country full of great economic potential and growth and wonderful people and families there as well. But to say that it is theologically blessed by God and that we should give it more money and more weapons to exterminate a whole group of population of people is the highest level of arrogance. I think that actually violates um, one of the most strictest rules in religious discourse to use religion as an avenue for violence that's terrible it's theological cleansing is what's happening okay that that's very helpful thank you so maybe you want to go into some other problems that you see with like christian zionism Kadun? yeah uh based on hell Lindsay, who actually made it very very popular and he's currently still doing his work by the way uh populating a theory and i think it's a very false a very problematic theory and I, I like how uh, N.T. Wright called it left behind theology, which pushes the idea that we need to continue to support Israel because Jesus himself said that the man of sin or the man of iniquity is coming, that the end times have to occur, that there will be a trouble in Jacob, um, that the discourses in uh, the Olivet Discourse specifically that Jesus gave uh, when Jesus was asked, when will these things be? And uh, is the is the and when will the end come? Um, are specifically happening today, and it is a height of narcissism to think that the Bible and the specific writings of John from the island of Patmos in the Book of Revelation had to wait two thousand years for our us, the people living today, and it only applies to us. It didn't apply to any other Christians throughout history. That is a very deep problem in hermeneutics uh, to assume that. Now, if you were to read the book of Revelation in the context from which it was written, and you would take a look at something like, for example, the 666, the mark of the mark of man or the mark of the beast, that was specifically referring to an, uh, a numerical device that's talking about the beast at the time, the one who's persecuting and killing Christians. And if you were to do the numeric device on there, you'll see that that was talking about Nero. And when Jesus talked about um, the temple, once you see this temple here, not one stone shall be left upon another. He's not talking about some way future time 2,000 years later. Jesus specifically said, this generation shall not pass away until these things take place. And he said that in all three synoptic gospels and Christians, specifically Christian Zionists and dispensationalists, have done some incredible gymnastics theologically to jump around that verse whenever jesus refers to this generation he's talking about the generation that crucified him when he talked to um the high priest jesus said to him you shall see the son of man coming in power he didn't see talk about something in the future 
So when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD by Tactus, the Romans, over 1 million Jews were killed and taken prisoners. And the desolation that causes uh, abominations was taking place in that temple. The, Jew, the Romans went in, they desecrated the temple, they destroyed it. And Jesus warned that you have to go to the mountains when you see this thing happening. And the coming of the Son of Man, meaning Jesus himself, sitting on the throne, that established him as the king, as the Messiah, as the one who will rule. And the, the kingdom of God is here now with us. Um, and there is a time coming in the future where Jesus will physically come himself. Yes. But much of what he already said has already been fulfilled. Okay, so this is helpful. So we have these like theological problems that you talk about. What about like how this is actually like playing out in the world we see today? Um, what problems do you see in Christian Zionism that are playing out like today? Um, and you've already referenced some of this with regards to, like the Israel and Palestinian conflict that we're seeing happen right now as we talk. Uh, theological issues, for example, we see Arabs as lesser group of people. There's um, a, a type of hierarchy of race. When we start seeing the people of Israel today as blessed by God or given some kind of dispensation above and over and above other human beings, what we end up doing is we, even inadvertently, we devalue others. When we start giving money to Israel, and now, because of our theological beliefs, are not giving money to places in Nigeria and what's happening in Yemen, where over a million lives have been lost, and other places in the world, even in our own country here in the United States. Our theological beliefs, where we think we're doing the right thing, is actually pulling us away from the people who are broken, the homeless, the orphans that are around us. There are Christians in the Middle East that are dying, Zach. Churches are being destroyed. Families are being torn apart. And they're Arab Christians as well. So I think one impression that maybe I, like even I've implicitly had, is that like when we're dealing with like this Israel and Palestine conflict um, and what's happening on the Gaza Strip, I believe you said, um, is that it's really like Jews against Muslims. Like, and, and it's not something like I've expressly like said, oh, like this is, I believe, what's happening right now. Um, it's just kind of more of like an implicit thought. But it seems like with what you're saying, Kaudi, like that's not necessarily the case here. Like when we're doing what's happening in Palestine, like it's not just like Muslims who are being displaced um, and killed, but it's also Christians as well. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. A large portion of Nazareth is filled with Christians. It's one of the reasons actually Israel, when, it's, when it did its ethnic cleansing back in 1948, uh, left Nazareth alone. It's one of the places that has a multiplicity of Christians in there. And, and even though all three Christian denominations are there where they watch the Church of the Sepulchre, uh, as well as the birthplace of Jesus, um, many people make their living in these tourist organizations that come all over the world from there. Now those are all stopped again. Like it's the second COVID for them. It's a terrible situation. And these are people, Zach. These are humans. These are Christians. They are our brothers and sisters in our faith. And we're devaluing them because we don't think they are blessed by God like we think Israel is. So then, Kadun, like, and I think we kind of like already have an answer to this question. Um, I seem like I kind of know what you'd say when I'm going to ask this, but like, why shouldn't Christians be using these end time prophecies to support Israel today? It seems like, and correct me where I'm wrong, but if I'm thinking the way you are right now, 
when we think about like the theology of Christian Zionism, this idea that like Christians should support the state of Israel, um, it seems like you're going to say, well, first off, this is something that's just like theologically wrong. Um, like there's this is there's not a good biblical basis for this. Um, and if that's the case, then like if we look at it, well, theologically, there is no reason to support Israel. And then we have to look deal with the question of, well, should we be supporting Israel as they go through Palestine right now? And it seems like to me, like you're going to say no, because if you look at what's happening within the immense amount of suffering that's being caused on innocent civilians, um, that's a big problem. So am I right? Correct me where I'm wrong. Like, what are your thoughts here, Kaldun? Well, if another nation, let's say, you know, Bosnia or, and wherever you want to talk about around the world uh, or Iraq, et cetera, was invaded and, and their people were being displaced. And, and a lot of the people living there are our own Christians. And whether they're Christians or not, we still have an obligation to help them. And Jesus said, you know, love your enemies as much as you uh, think you love your friends. So when Israel as a nation deserves his right to exist, as a nation does, any nation, there are people there as well. They have an infrastructure. They have an economy. They have schools. They have hospitals. They have education systems. There are people too. Um, and they're one of our allies in the Middle East. They're one of the you know, major democracies there, um, although other Arab nations are democracies as well. Um, but they have a, a certain Western ideology and a thought pattern that is similar to that in the West. So Israel becomes a, a, a very strong ally to the United States. And the United States is one of the strongest allies to Israel in the world. And again, that's for theological reasons, as well as um, humanitarian reasons. So I don't think we should not support Israel as a, as a nation. We can support any nation that needs help. Um, but to do so based on theological foundations, I think, is misguided and dangerous at the highest level. Anything that people do to hurt you could be for your own good. But when they're doing it because they think God told them to do it, oh boy. I mean, this is where the atheists get their ammunition that religions cause both the wars and the bloodshed in the world, which is sociologically and historically incorrect. But nevertheless, you can understand why they say that. So in your view then, Kaudun, when we're thinking about like this conflict, uh, you think that like maybe this is even something that you said the word dangerous to describe Christians using um, end times prophecies to support um, Israel's to kind of go through Palestine right now? Zach, imagine you're living in the Gaza Strip with your family and you're hiding under a school trying to avoid the bombs that are falling around. You go outside to get some food and you come back and your entire home is decimated and you see the hand of your mother sticking out of the rubble. And next to that rubble, horrendous as it is, with all the smoke, you see one of the bombs laying there with a U.S. symbol on it. An MX missile, knowing that this is from the U.S. that was given to Israel. And then also as you grow up, you begin to understand that this was given because they believe God has blessed these people. The dangerous thing I'm talking about here is these young boys are going to become radicalized by extremist Islamic terrorist organizations that focus on freeing the people by killing, executing the innocent civilians that are living in Israel today. You're going to grow up most likely like these other boys, suicide bomber or somebody who's going to retaliate like they did on October 7th. You're creating a whole generation that's going to do that. So when I say dangerous, I mean it with a capital D. So 
That's helpful. And one thing I'm thinking about here, Kaldun, is like, what do you think like a proper like response is to the Israel and Palestine conflict? Um, I think it's also helpful to remember here, or I, I don't know how this weighs into your thinking. Um, obviously, the Israel-Palestine conflict is something that's complex. It didn't just start in 2023 and it just came out of nowhere. There's a lot of historical roots to this. Um, but like, what do you think about like, someone might say like, well, Israel attacked Palestine for, or sorry, ugh, ignore that. Um, Palestine attacked Israel first in this first moment with this horrific attack that happened um, a little bit ago now. How does that play into things? Like when you think about your thinking here of like the Hamas attack uh, on Israel, like, yeah, how does that play into like this question of what's going on? Because obviously it would seem like Israel would have to react in some way to that horrific thing that happened to them. Um, yeah, I'm just curious your thoughts here, Kaldun. Yeah, I, of course they have to react. They're a nation that's been attacked. They have to react. Um, and their people have been killed, which is very strange for the Israeli Defense Force, one of the most powerful forces in the world, to take four hours to respond to an attack on their own uh, soil, which is boggles the mind. But nevertheless, the, um, the problem there you just touched on, Zach, did it start October 7? It's a domino effect. This stuff started way back then, before both of us were born. Over 75 years of this stuff happening, over a thousand Palestinians have been killed, um, evicted, marginalized, oppressed, kicked out of their homes, having their homes demolished by bulldozers and entire regions of their homeland destroyed and living in adjunct poverty as Beverly Hills-like homes surrounded by large fences and guarded by the most powerful military force in the world are being built up around them and people taking their houses and their homes and their communities and their schools. And, and you're saying that this started October 7. No, no, no. October 7 is just the spark that started way back when. And these kinds of things are ignored by our media. And some of our organizations are pointing them out. Um, I give them credit for that. Um, and this is what's starting a lot of the movements around the world. Or even here in Chicago, we had a few thousand people marching for uh, Palestine. And, uh, of course, London has that, Australia, New Zealand, so many places around the world. You have young people marching against this kind of atrocity that's happening to uh, the Palestinian people. In that small group, of course, you have others who are advocating terrorist uh, activities. And that, that's terrible. But that happens with any group, like Black Lives Matter. Um, give you an example. When a police officer, when you have a videotape of a police officer um, attacking a young black man, a white police officer, we think that the, uh, or hurting him severely or shooting him. This is terrible, terrible situation. Well, hold on a minute. You only see a small clip of the video. You didn't see what the man did before that, right? Or his long arrest record or his dealing with the police for the last six months. You don't see that. All you see is what's on that video. And it's like reading a verse out of context. You need to take a look at the bigger picture. Okay, so that's helpful, Kadun. And like looking at the bigger picture, like where should Christians, like how do you think, like, like what should, how should a Christian, like as Christians, how should we be thinking, like reacting to what's going on in Israel and Palestine today? Obviously, I think with like social media, we're very much in a like, like the question of like how you should react is like how you should tweet about this or how you should be commenting on Facebook about this, like things like that. Um, 
But like, as you, so I don't even know if I like the way the question's worded because I don't think it's the call of me to go onto Twitter and Facebook and give my opinion about every single little thing. But there obviously is a place for that, like where we should be standing up for like injustice and things like that. Um, so like, how should we be thinking, like reacting, like processing what's going on in Israel and Palestine today? Sure. Uh, the book of James says, true religion is that which looks after the poor, and the homeless and the, the orphans and the widows, right? And, and the book of Malachi says that you, when you turn your eye to them, God will turn his eye from you. When we lend to the poor, we lend to God. When they receive people broken and hurting, we do what we can to help them by sending our resources, our money to reputable organizations that can actually help humanitarian organizations that can help these people. Uh, that's one thing we can do. Another thing we can pray for these people and ask for the divine grace of God to bless and to show his grace to them. For without the Messiah, there is no hope for any of us, Muslim, Christian, or anyone else, or any nation on earth. We need peace in our region as much as we need peace in our heart. Another thing is uh, pick up books and resources and videos about theological traditions that don't agree with yours. Read your Bible. Take a look at what it actually says, not what you think it says. Now, how can you figure that out? By only looking at it through different lens, different theological lens. Um, confront your pastors. Ask the serious questions about this, who, who are telling you to blindly support Israel. To say, what? wait a minute, pastor. Is the same Israel here, the one mentioned in the Bible? Um, are these people actually the people of God? Um, and, and you need to ask yourself those questions and, and to really... Um, do something dangerous called think. Yeah, that's definitely something important is to think. Um, Kaldun, it feels like like in this time, like um, talking about like this situation, um, it seems like a like a very dark time. And we think about like like I'm just thinking briefly about the history of the world. Like there's always been wars um, and things like this, or typically all, there's always been wars. Um, how do we see like the light of Jesus in this? Like, it just seems like, I don't know, when I think about like a situation like with like Israel and Palestine, what's happening right now. And you could reference even um, recently the conflict with Russia and Ukraine, which is still going on. Like, when we have wars in like these dark times as Christians, like how can we see the light? Like even through this, mm, mm. you know, Zach, the most important thing in the world, um, uh, A.W. Tozer said about man, is what he thinks about God. And why is that the most important thing? It's because God is the most important thing. And what you think about the most important thing is the most important thing about you. Because not only does it give you meaning and purpose in life, it gives you a trajectory of where to go in life and how, and to most importantly, find hope in the storms of life. And Jesus, the Lord Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And I think that when we have grounded ourselves in knowing, as it says in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, who are conformed to the image of his son, that we can trust God through this, that he will work it out. That no matter how much hell is going on in my life, the light of heaven will shine through. Not only by the things that will happen to me, but the things that will happen through me. I am the hands and feet of Christ. And I need to be that to my community. 
Now, if I don't know much about Israel and Palestine, I shouldn't go on Twitter and Facebook and other just post stuff because I'll be putting my foot in my mouth. But what I can do is support people who are knowledgeable about this. And I can become knowledgeable myself by picking up good literature, good resources, and reach out to those in need around me and ask the questions that are important about this. That's helpful, Karun. Anything else you want to say about like the Israel and like Palestine conflict that we haven't addressed that you feel like would be relevant or important for people listening to this to, 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 to have in their mind as we start to wrap up here? No, I'm thinking, is there anything we missed? Um, there is a concept of jihadism we can't ignore uh, that is being fed through the people who support Palestine, like people on my side of the fence and Arabs. We want to support Palestine, but we do need to be careful. I'm speaking to my Arab Christians here as well, as well as um, uh, moderate Muslims, that to support Palestine doesn't necessarily hold for the people outside that we also support Hamas and the killing of civilians. We, we don't. Um, but there are groups of people who do, and we need to speak out against that. Uh, we need to um, uh, show that this is demonic to kill civilians and to support um, the killing and the execution of families and, and people who have nothing to do with this. This is um, demonic. And if we don't speak out about it, we are then uh, complicit in it. Um, so as Christian Arabs who support the, the right of Palestinians to exist, we have to be careful when we join these marches and these groups to not put ourselves and lump ourselves together with Islamists as well. So Kadun, one of the things you, you referenced multiple times when thinking about like uh, this issue is like we should be reading literature and like listening and thinking from like good resources from different perspectives. What could you recommend for people to read or listen or like who would you direct people towards to like try to understand this issue and its complexity at a deeper level? Yeah, sure. Uh, I would recommend uh, the work of N.T. Wright, who's a great theologian, written multiple books on uh, theology. He's got some wonderful resources. I, I would I would take a look into that uh, as well. Um, there are wonderful uh, organizations out there within the Catholic and the Orthodox faith, as well as in the uh, Anglicans and the Reformed tradition. And on one of my favorite uh, evangelical um, uh, theologians, R.C. Sproul, who passed on a few years ago, R.C. Sproul was a big proponent of re covenant reform theology who did not buy into dispensationalism. The work of R.C. Sproul in his um, uh, series on the end times is wonderful um, and very articulate and very persuasive analysis of the end time prophecies done from not a Hal Lindsey uh, Darby uh, perspective, from a, from a perspective that actually looks at scripture and takes it seriously from the context from which it was written. Not everything in the Bible is literal. The Bible is a multifaceted book. Some things are poetry, some things are epistles, some things are history, some things are not. Um, so we need to look at the Bible as we look at any literature book and use proper hermeneutics to analyze it. Um, so those are some resources I would recommend. Well, Kadun, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. There's so much I've learned and you've helped me, um, inspired to me to think about this at a deeper level. Um, how can people follow you, connect with you, things like that? Yeah, I'd be happy to connect with people. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Uh, Logically Faithful. Logically Faithful is my organization. Uh, take a look at that. And, of course, I've combined the words because I fundamentally believe that we need to be logical in our thinking and faithful in our living 
in order for us to glorify the God above us and be true to the man within us. Logically Faithful, you can follow me on all those social media platforms as well as on my website with the same name. That's well said. Um, Kaudun, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate you and your time. I'll leave some links down below where people can follow you and connect with you, things like that. And to everyone listening, this is here on Apologetics. Uh, I encourage you to like, subscribe, all that fun stuff, and just keep thinking critically about these issues. Um, I'd encourage everyone to do. Kaudun, one last time, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time. And let's make sure it's not three years before we talk again. That was <laughs> yeah, definitely, long, so. definitely not three years. And it's wonderful you're doing this, man. Very few people. Uh, get online and, and engage. Very, even less people actually are brave enough to create a platform the way you're doing it. So God bless you. May your tribe increase. You're too kind. Thank you. Um, have a good one, everyone. And God bless. We'll catch you later.